0: Welcome to Get Undressed, the podcast that gets under the skin of the fashion industry. Brought to you by Dressed, the world's first luxury styling game. I'm Victoria Moss, Fashion Features Director at Dressed, and I'll be your host. At Dressed, we want to help style a new fashion era, one with inclusivity and diversity at its core, where everyone can feel represented and at home. In a year when everything has been thrown off its axis it feels particularly important to reframe the conversation around fashion. So in each episode, I'll be interviewing a luminary figure from the fashion world and hopefully finding out what makes them tick when we ask them to take the Dresdionnaire. We like to think of the Dresdionnaire as a personal and stylish guide to life in all its varied forms, looking at the power of fashion and how it can be a force for good, rounding out the belief, that to be well-dressed is far more than the sum of your outfit. It's how you live, think and act in the world. It's a mix of questions designed to get them talking and us thinking. My guest today is the incredible beth Hardison. beth is a true powerhouse and has had a unique and incredible career. From a New York garment district button factory, she became a modeling superstar walking in the era defining battle of versailles fashion show in 1973 which premiered American designers and an impressive lineup of black model talent in Paris. Bethan founded her own very successful model agency and has for decades been a fierce advocate for change and revolution. In 1987, she launched the Black Girls Coalition which evolved into an advocacy group raising awareness on issues from homelessness to racism in advertising. In 2013, as a response to the woeful exclusion of any models of colour on the runways, she formed the Diversity Coalition with Iman and Naomi Campbell and once again took the industry to task over the critical role of representation. A true fashion icon and viewed by so many in the fashion world as a mentor figure, she has received the CFDA Founders Award, is an executive advisor to Gucci and starred in its spring-summer campaign – and was on the cover of this September's Italian Vogue. Bethan, welcome to Get Undressed. I'm so thrilled to talk to you today. Thank you so much, Victoria. I'm happy to be here with you. Ah, oh, wonderful. And you've you've had such an incredible career and I feel that that doesn't even really scratch the surface, um, but hopefully we can
1: cover lots throughout the podcast. But first of all, tell me, how are you? I'm quite well, thank you very much for asking. Um, I do want to say one thing. I know I've noticed recently that people have said uh, mentioned my career, and I always say that that I don't have a career. Yeah, I, ha- I have. I'm living a life, but a career is much more specific. A career is, um, you know, like a doctor, as an actor, or, you know, a financier, an accountant. i <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm, uh, I'm someone who's um, many things. I've done many different things, and I think when you say career. It sounds like something you've been building on specifically, but besides that, I'm doing quite well. I'm glad that with the pandemic and all and the virus l- leaking and lurching upon us, uh, I'm well. Um, I'm working, um, and I just just some interesting things have just recently happened.
0: Yeah, how has this, this year been for you? How have you found everything?
1: Yeah, I think you know I stopped traveling uh, the first of March. Uh, and I was waiting to have a, a knee replacement actually, believe it or not, March 24th. So I went upstate to my home in the mountains in the New York, and I went up there March 13th. And then it was decided that I shouldn't do the uh, surgery, which was really all of a sudden I felt like I really needed it, but you know, I just began to sort of like try to heal myself. Maybe it was very placebo, but it's been much better since I didn't do the surgery. Okay, and I stayed at my house for quite, for quite some time. I, I actually, for the first three months, have experienced really being um, in a very good place uh, because, you know, everybody was shut down. No one could move. I'm up in the mountains surrounded in, the, in a forest. So it was very good in one way. But then when Mr. Floyd lost his life, mm-hmm. uh, that changed everything. And then the movement happened and the movement uh, started to happen with demonstrations and the riding and the demonstrations continually then it began to affect the uh, fashion industry, and the the social injustice and racial injustice seemed to have uh, spilled over into the fashion industry. And then it became very, very busy. A lot of advising, a lot of consulting, a lot. Yeah, and how
0: how do you feel the fashion world has responded to the these events?
1: Well, I think the fashion. Uh, world has responded to people in the co- in in the industry who are of color, feeling that there has been some sort of like inequality or injustice, so that they've been finally had a voice to speak up. Yeah. And the in yeah. the system, the, the industry has sort of like leaned back to listen and have tried their best to find uh, common ground. And I think that that's something that's happening. Um, And I think it's important that I think it can remain because I think people now recognize that there's been some sort of lack of and there's a need to be some improvement.
0: Yeah. And do you you think I know the fashion world is such a fickle place and these sort of these efforts sometimes feel like they come in waves and then it it sort of goes back a bit a bit. But do you feel that there's been a, a kind of reckoning of sorts and that this moment will will hopefully endure?
1: I do. I mean, I'm more positive about it, uh, maybe because I've seen many things in many times. But the fact that the movement has not just been like a, it hasn't just been black demonstrators. It's been a a multicultural, multiracial uh, input of people who really are demonstrating because they see, what they see visually is something that's been inappropriate. And I think what our industry has seen is, like most industries, whether it be the Film industry, the music industry, fashion industry, I think they've all seen that this is nothing to just, this is about human, in, human injustice. And so I think that's helped uh, them to see the difference. And thank goodness it's not just a black cause, it's a really, many people across the, uh, across the board feel uh, a concern. And seeing those young people demonstrating that are of every color, I think it helps people to feel like, wow, we've, we're missing something, we need to get on with something. Yes. And, I think that, and I think because of it, it will have a permanent change. Of course, you know, a lot of maybe different initiatives that's come up because of it on the, on, the say, the racial side, on the black side, maybe all of those won't survive because they don't need to maybe or maybe that they can't answer everything. But I think, I think the industry itself will partake and I think it will continue in some good way because now we have their attention. Now you have their attention and now they've admitted to things that they can improve upon.
0: And so do you feel there's a constructive response? Yes, I do.
1: I do. I Brilliant. do. Brilliant.
0: Um, and have you taken on your first
1: acting role? Is that right? Oh, my God. You heard, huh? Well, I yeah. saw I saw it on your Instagram, Bethan. <laughs> it's not it's not my it's not my first, but it's my first television um, acting appearance. That's a that's a reoccurring character. That's something I've never done before. Wow. Tell me about that. What? What is it? scary. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh yeah. Yeah, that's that that took a lot of stress up until about last week uh Friday. It was a lot of stress just to I was trying to get out of it because I sent in the tape out of respect to the the creator, the writer, director of it. And it's a, going into its fourth season on CW. It's called Black Lightning and I'm to play a character that actually helps counsel a marriage counselor to the two leads. So this marriage counselor is in at least six episodes and may could be more. And uh, I just got through with doing my first episode on Tuesday and I survived it. But Lord knows going into this, I was a combination of, (laughs) of fear, anxiety and being overwhelmed. Oh, well done. And how was it? The first, the first episode? yeah very well done i mean they, the 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 creator and, and he he directs the first one in the last episode. He was so proud and he's so happy that he really he and the casting people really wanted me because they had looked at many people but they thought I was the most authentic yeah and i i mean i i I've, I've been a trained actor in my past, but I'm just not a practice actor, so you know you go in there and you don't have that muscle where you just can do the memory of lines, so you have to work on that. But how amazing to take this on. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I have a documentary I'm working on. So people in my doc, you know, team says, you got to do it. And everybody that I spoke to about it, that I said, I wasn't going to do it. They said, are you crazy? You have to do it. So then it became, all right, let me, maybe I'm making a mistake. So I went forth and, and here I am. And, and I, and I, and, and it's nice for the experience of it. My son's an actor, quite well known. So it's very interesting, and even though I was trained as an actor, I never, like I said, I don't have a career. I just do different things. You know, if this comes in front of me, I do it. I, am I a model agent? You know, per se, no. Was I an assistant to a designer? Yes. Was I a runway model? Yes. Did I do Versailles? Uh huh. But there are a lot of things that I do along the way, uh, and they just keep happening. Now I'm, I'm 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 a guide to young design brands. So there are so many different things that I do, but I care about something and I'm
0: capable. All right. Now I'd love to walk you through what we call the genere, which is the list of questions we ask all guests on the podcast. Um, so if you're ready, uh, shall we start? Uh, I think I'm ready. Great. Did you find the fashion world an easy or hard place
1: to get into? Well, it wasn't a fashion world, quote unquote, when I when I started in the industry, I, I, I grew up in a garment industry and I give all credit to that. Um, I just went looking for a job one day because I needed a job. I was young and I looked in The New York Times where most people would look to find their their um, employment. And uh, I got a job in, a, in a, a button factory. So it was easy. <laughs> <laughs> Great training. Yeah, and it went on from there to there. Was a lot of a lot of jobs in the garment district. I learned, so we never think of it as fashion because it was low end dresses. It may have been, you know, just working in the showroom. You know, it's a lot of different aspects of the industry that you know I learned very well. And do you feel that helped you, kind of seeing
0: every facet and every element and the high and the low of everything?
1: I think in life, yeah, a lot of training. If you have, you know, I ran track as a kid and I had a coach. Uh, and I, we always think that every athlete, if they have a good coach, you, you walk away with that life life learned lessons. I felt the same way about the garment industry because I did many different things in the garment industry. I started out in button factory, but I wind up, you know, being Willie Smith's assistant, and then I wind up being a showroom girl for Stephen Burroughs. And I mean, just every little aspect, working low end dresses, learning a switchboard, anything, you, you you learn a lot of things in life when you're growing up that you're being trained for, that you apply to your life as, your, as an adult.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's the most useful advice you've been given? Save your money.
1: Simple, save your money. That's the most useful. Uh, did, I, did I listen? No, because I was young. <laughs> but, but Like every young person, you say, but I don't have much to save. And I, and I would say this to this man named Bernie Oza, who was like a, a mentor in my life. And he would see me in Paris. He said, what do you mean you don't have money? You're in Paris. <laughs> well, yeah, but it was a cheap ticket and blah, blah, blah. You know, you're, you're always explaining. But yeah, save your money. And who inspires you the most in the industry? Oh, the, I think for sure it's the young brands, young designers, young people that I'm working with now. That's an inspiration to me now. Um, you know, seeing people who have, you know, trying, making their way. When you grew up, you know, it wasn't that, that many people around trying to enter into a a manufacturing or uh, the business called fashion. So it's interesting to see and to be close to that when I knew it from a different point of view. Um, So it's nice to see brands making their way and getting opportunities. And that's why I say about this whole movement, how many things came apart, like what Anna Winter started with uh, CFDA, a common thread, and found monies to help support these different designers. And a lot of the younger brands, you know, gain profit from that by just applying and getting support, financial support. And then even with my little group, you know, Tom Ford, who is the CFDA director and head right now, and he was able to give me a little of money that was for the Common Thread, through the Common Thread, to support my little group. I get inspired by seeing these brands who believe, who are creators, who really believe in themselves. I just want their brands to be strongly built on a business foundation. That's my objective.
0: Yeah. So, I, so I'm
1: inspired by
0: that. And who has helped you the most?
1: Hmm. Who's helped me the most? I think those who I go to when I have this these ideas you know, about, you know, diversity or anything that we need to a, a, approach the industry. I always have to give a lot of credit to Naomi Campbell only because as a young person, you know, whenever I would tell her things, she'd be like my... She would be like my scout. She'd go out there... And while I'm doing something in another country or something, she call me and let me know what was going on in the industry, how things were changing. I think that's been always a help to have that person that who who feels the spirit like you do, but they're at a different age and a different time, may not have the wisdom and may not be the person to do what I do. But she's definitely been someone who has been that energy to give me. And then also Iman, who, who may not have known what was happening because her life had changed so greatly, but she'd always step up and have my back and everyone else that's in the quote unquote (laughs) diversity coalition who I never named because they're all in the industry I think all of that that moment in time when you're getting ready to do something so forceful to have you know that you're doing something right I always understand my industry in a very good way but you still have you still have a backup band. yeah
0: absolutely and it was incredible that moment um when you came together and sent the letter in 2013 to sort of designers across the industry and the the reaction to that do you feel that that was something that has been sustained since then
1: well it, it may have had a great impact I mean I wrote the letter I showed it to not to Iman and Naomi but I showed it to two other members of the coalition I mean I didn't tell I was in my bed in Mexico honestly I wrote it from there but <laughs> I but I, uh, I but I it was true but I I I, I sent him a note real fast and let them each two guys see it, and they both said, very strong, but I think we have no choice but to do this now. I mean sending it out was uh, something that was very very strong to do, but yes, immediately when the letters were received in the press, I sent it to the press, I sent it to the each council of fashion, and I made each one had a list of designers mm-hmm. that were guilty, whether it was their intention or not of lack of um, diversity um it was very interesting to watch it change immediately. If I sent it out September, say, 7th, uh, 2013, that's right, 2013, you know, that was like uh, September, so October for Paris, for London, for for Milan, it changed like that. As soon as they recognized it, they'd start putting Girls of Color on the runway. It has never, it started to decrease a little bit, you know. But it, 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 I mean, it never went backwards. What I'm saying, it, it never went. It never went backwards. It always continued. And since that day, we've not had that issue when it comes down to the fashion model. But my objective was always to utilize, as I always say, that was the that was the sharpest tool I had in my shed. It, I used the fashion model because I knew that if I used something that was visible, that it could help change. Society. I really believed in my mind. I, I didn't say that to you, no one else, but my, my personal assistant. She's the only other one that knew what I was. My objective is that I could really affect society in general. Because once you start to visually see, then you, other industries would pick it up. Other people would start to get used to, and it wouldn't be so foreign to look at color. And you have to use the fashion model because that was the most visible thing I could have. So she's in the runway. Then she's in editorials. Then she's in advertising. And then the eyes of anyone else, Caucasian be it in charge, would begin to get used to seeing color, and it would become normal.: And it did. Yeah, I think it definitely worked. And what's been your most thrilling fashion moment? Well, you know, we didn't know it at the time, but Versailles surely was <laughs> because because when I walked down that when I walked down that stage. And I gave them that look, and those, and that was the beginning of it. And the programs went up in the air, and the and the, and <laughs> the Europeans were stomping, Bravo, Bravo! I mean, they, 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 there's nothing that was greater than that moment, for sure. It was uh, Versailles, and and how we we the oppressed underdogs came out as winners. And Lord knows, it was myself and other girls with Liza Minnelli who basically helped make it all be true. Yeah.
0: And really launched lots of careers. And, and it, it really was, I think, and seen still as a, as a real moment for the fashion
1: industry. The interesting thing about that, too, is that no one even knew about it in, again until about six years ago or so. Because uh, that's when I think uh, the Metropolitan Museum decided to, to do a luncheon and to give us a citation. They learned about it, seeking it out in their diversity uh, department of the museum. And most people who were there had never even heard of Versailles. And from that moment came, uh, you know, uh, a woman did, did her first documentary based on it. Robin Givon did her first book based on it. Yeah. Um, Made to Measure did another do- documentary on it. And then now HBO bought the book of uh, Robin Givon and asked Ava DuVernay to do uh, a narrative for HBO on it. That's so it funny. gained all this incredible momentum for something that had never been known before. But what it really did was not so much the careers that it may have launched, which I don't know if that's so true, what it did, it integrated in the minds of the French, the, the, the model of colour. And Mrs. Givenchy and others, well, Yves Saint Laurent was a little bit on that tip already, but Mrs. Givenchy completely made his whole cabine of colour. It inspired them, and that's what was so great about it. And have you been involved um, with Ava, with her project? uh, Yes, HBO had hired me, as Ava had asked me to, because I was the only one she personally knew. You know, way before Ava was a a film director, I knew her as a a publicist in in L.A., as a young publicist. So, personally, she knew me. She knew about this Versailles thing, she learned about it, but the only person that was on the list that they needed to incorporate was me, so she asked me to come on as a consulting producer. And so HBO had hired me for that. And if she ever writes it, because she's supposed to still write it, if she ever does it, but she's a very busy director, uh, uh, it, it may never happen, but, but so far it's still, on the, it's still on the books. Yeah, okay. Oh, well, I hope it does happen.
0: She's a busy woman, isn't she? <laughs> oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> incredible what she does, incredible.
0: What's been your least glamorous fashion moment? My least glamorous
1: fashion moment? I don't I, you, I, you know I, I don't I don't know because since I don't lend my mind to fashion so much the word or the idea of it my least fashion I guess maybe there must be a time in life you never feel like you're you're dressed appropriately enough because I'm so bohemian in my way of thinking and living <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe my least fashion moment is like maybe you know uh, I think the the exasperation I think is the best word is uh, not being able to dress like some people get so dressed up to be in an event. And I just find it to be a little bit like too much to bear. To me, it's like, oh, my God, all that. you got to think about what to wear. And you have to look, uh, you know, like those others do. And I'm so beyond that. So I guess that would be my less, least fashionable moment is my attitude.
0: <laughs> I like that.
1: <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> it's my attitude. <laughs> Can fashion be a force for good? Oh, I don't like the idea of fashion. I like the idea of style. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, fashion, They've, you know, now it's just such a, it's gotten so like, you know, it used to be a tiny little island, you know, and now it's gotten to be, uh, you know, with popular culture and all, anyone that sews a button on a shirt thinks they're in fashion. <laughs> uh instead of thinking they, they can't they, say though yeah yeah oftentimes that's a t- that's the <laughs> ticket yeah right <laughs> so it's not like they know how to make patterns or they know how to you know actually grade, grade a greater pattern or or anything like that but it's just the idea that it's gotten so uh, an industry that's gotten so loved by the outside world that the outside world seems to have more has more um i get land i mean they've you know the, the the island doesn't get any bigger but the the inhabitants become more and more and more so I think we're a little crowded. I think that's where the problem is. I think we've we've gone a little over the top, and we're trying to uh, um, accommodate the inhabitants, and the inhabitants are, are a lot. So the island is suffering a bit. But I think in the end of the day, um, I I I I don't know if it could be a force for good. But there are a lot of people who want to be in it. So I guess what can you say? <laughs> and why does clothing matter? Oh, clothing matters just. Just to, to to put it on the body, I mean, to make sure that you have something on when you walk down the street or go out of your house. Um, the truth of it is, I think, I, it's all about style for me. It's always been about style. It's always been about style. The joy of watching a, something that someone can create something from cloth is very, it's, it's, it's a great visual to the eye when you look at something like Junior Watanabe or Ray from Comte de Gasson, or the, the, the wonderfulness of the Japanese. I worked very closely with Issei Miyake for my many great years, and, and I helped produce a lot of his shows. I, I was very close to Kenzai Yamamoto, God Rest His Soul. I mean, the, the idea of working with people who really work with the textile and develop textile, those kind of things of having that insight and being so close to that world and watching gives you an opportunity to understand things. Um, but to me, the base that artistic in, investment of these designers, these creators, is one thing. And then to see that clothes just matter if you just basically put them on and just make other people delighted by what you're wearing. And what does being well dressed mean to you? Yeah, that takes a little bit of being a bit more dapper. <laughs> well dressed is, is is being a bit dapper. That has really. When you when people really care so much about clothing, that they really that's that's in that's their, their it's like almost something that they can taste. They just need to look always well, and they do it in such. I look at some people sometimes. I said, "Wow, they really care to look a certain way at all times." So that I can say, clothes matter because you have a... It's like a something that you go into a grocery store and you decide to choose something that you don't usually usually select. So there it is. And you look at that person and you say, wow, that's nice. It's not for me necessarily, but I appreciate it every time, you know, because it's, it's, it's delightful. Yeah, good candy. Yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> um, if you could only wear one outfit for the rest of your life, what would it be? A jumpsuit. And what do you put on to feel powerful?
1: Uh, essential oils
0: and what piece in your wardrobe makes you feel happy
1: I think always a white shirt classic Um, I I think just Mm -hmm. white itself just helps you know support your 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 energy purity
0: Mm. what's your strongest childhood
1: memory oh so many I have many but tap dancing I was a child tap dancer, yeah. How young were you when you started? Uh, 9, 10, 11. Aww.
0: And do you still, can you still do a bit of tap?
1: Oh, I can tap. <laughs> I, I prefer to dance salsa, but I can tap. <laughs> I can't do all of the, you know, I can't make, because I'm out of practice, but I can't do every maybe step that's a known hoofers tap, but I can mm-hmm. do basics. Yeah, I can do a lot of the basics, yeah. Oh. And what do you always have with you? Oh, I always have with me either a crystal or a garnet, a, a bead, something that always brings great energy to your environment. And what do you always forget? Where the keys.
0: <laughs> do you always feel confident? Oh, no, absolutely not.
1: Not always, no. Look at me last week. I thought I, was going, I had a, break, a meltdown. you know people telling you 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 know i had to tell myself if you if the spirits want you to do this obviously it knows the spirits know that you can i just get myself to relax because i really couldn't believe i was getting ready to do this and then you have to get covid testing and then you know i and i have been living in the mountains and i being of my time on earth i'm not you know being tested you know i'm just cool you know, and then you, you you start moving about. You have to get tested, and a lot of things start happening to you. So it's interesting. And how do you feel when you're the center of attention? Very uncomfortable. I learned over the last so many years that I'm introverted. As much as I love people and I'm a personable person and I'm not shy, I'm an introvert. You need your own time. I I just basically like to when the energy is on me it, it it makes me uncomfortable. Even though naturally it ha- I'm I'm good at it, but not when it's like to walk into a party, I try to find the corner, stick in the corner and let people come to me. I'm not comfortable like I can never be a great hostess. I love watching people, women and men who can really host an event and walk around and talk to everyone. I can't do that. Not comfortably. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a skill for sure, doing it's, that. It, def- it surely
1: is. And what makes you feel vulnerable? Ooh, not knowing how to do something and have to do it.
0: What's your all-time favourite movie?
1: Oh, I have so many great movies. Uh, oh, but I... Uh, what's that movie with Brad Pitt that I love so much with uh, Anthony Hopkins? um Jesus if I can remember that name oh Legends uh, of the Fall Legends of the Fall that for me that's a we, good that, one that yeah Legends of the Fall and he was so handsome and oh compare. can't bear it <laughs> <laughs> I watched that so many times when I was a teenager <laughs> oh my god Jesus Christ I mean he nailed it he it's nailed too much. it yes very much too much <laughs> That and the red shoes as a child of red shoes and Bambi, I'll always remember as a child. But I, I, I can't remember, like, I couldn't even remember that name. But I, I thank you for remembering. Legends of the Fall is something that stays in my head. Yeah. Yeah, quite epic. You know, one thing that's interesting right now that I think will stay in my mind like that, it's funny, it's different than that, is this wonderful little series that's on Hulu called Normal People. Oh, yes, yes.
0: Yeah, we're all obsessed with that over here. The Irish ones.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's something that stays in your, you know, when you walk away from it, you still linger with it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that
0: was a good, um, because it came out at the beginning of lockdown. And so everyone watched it. Of course. (laughs) I think everyone in the world just watched it at the same time and then
1: has talked about it ever since. (laughs) I know. I know. Can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's true. (laughs) yeah there's such that's such a love story it's so sweet it's amazing yeah, beautiful and the way it's shot the way it te- te- the layers the layers of it the, I, I'm very impressed with the storytelling of it
0: mm. and
1: what song always makes you dance someone asked me that the other day and I had no memory of it but there's <laughs> so many and I said something silly like native U New Yorker And the girl said what what's the name of it I said native New Yorker but that's because that's that You know, I couldn't think of nothing else. But it's so many songs that makes you dance. But I'm much more... I love salsa. So anything that's salsa salsa classics, for sure. Latin music. Yeah, that gets you up. Yeah, for sure.
0: And what's your favourite room at home?
1: Always, oh, so I guess it has to be... Well, I like all my rooms, but... I guess... In my apartment in New York City is the living area, my living space. Um, but always, everything with me is like I, I lean always towards the, the bed. I, my bed is like my my office. I work out of it. I, I write out of it. I you know when it when it was COVID, the first shutdown of COVID, I just I I love being in the bed with the pajamas for three days straight, looking at one Lovely. Netflix. Netflix, Netflix, or one film after another, one series after another. <laughs> you know, my bed was everything. I was having a major affair with my bed. <laughs> Are you a morning person? I, uh, I'm very good to get up in the morning, but I'm, a, I'm nocturnal. I, I don't need much sleep, so I stay up early, and it's not because I'm insomnic. It's just that I, I just like going away until like 2 to 3 o'clock in the morning before I sleep. And then how long do you sleep for when you do go to bed? Sometimes, sometimes I don't sleep at all. Sometimes I sleep two hours, three hours, five hours, four hours. I can, I can, I can, I can function on no sleep. Wow. Yeah, it's impressive. It's a, it's very impressive. And I need to get over myself and go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Turn off Netflix. Turn it off. Turn off television period I'll stare at anything <laughs> you know it doesn't you know and, and I'm writing or doing something I'm organizing or doing something always it's not just the tv but that will hold me that's true yeah do you procrastinate oh huge that's why my book is not out <laughs> but I'm told that writing is procrastinating so I'm, I'm trying to respect that yeah <laughs> yeah keep
0: it real with that <laughs> what's the most extravagant thing you've ever done
1: Recently, I bought a $600 sweater. That's extravagant for me (laughs) in a moment like this, but that's what happens when it's COVID time. You just tend to do silly things. (laughs) Spending, you're thinking you you better be careful. I think that's the most, I mean, when I think about extravagant, I usually don't do things that are too extravagant, you know, um, But I've bought homes and they were never extravagant and and really they were cheap as hell and everybody now looks at me as like a land baroness because I did things. (laughs) (laughs) They said, you have so many homes. Yeah, but that was a bohemian play, you know, like nobody cared about this neighborhood and then I went there and now everybody wants to be there. Or, (laughs) you know, you go to Mexico and you buy into this town, nobody cared about it. Now everybody wants to be there. So it's it's, it's like that, but I think... um, Those are the moments that you think about. They were never extravagant, though. And what do you do to relax? It's always about if I could really get to a a hammock more often than not, I would lay in my hammock. I don't have a hammock in the city, but I have it in other homes. Um, But I do love the idea of going to sauna and steam and getting scrubbed.
0: Yeah, lovely.
1: Yeah, that I do. I do as often as I can. Now we can't because of the. The, the virus, but, you know, yes. And massages, of course, massages that I have. And how ambitious are you? I always claim that I'm not ambitious, but everyone denies that strongly. <laughs> <laughs> I always say I'm lazy. Everyone thinks that's a joke that I'm not. But I'm not ambitious to me because that takes having a vision. What I am is responsible. <laughs> I tend to be responsible about what needs to be done. But I don't think of it as ambition because it's not to win. It's just you see things that need to be done and you get on it. And you're lucky enough that, thank God for my garment industry training, that you know how to put one foot in front of the other. I, I, don't, I don't think to, to myself of being ambitious. I do think of myself as like I see something that can be done or needs to be done and I seems to be that person who can do it.
0: And what's your favorite cheap thrill?
1: I guess it's going to dance salsa. I guess it's, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's, that's about as cheap as you get because I usually put that on and when I'm cooking in the kitchen. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I love cooking just salsa music because you always get a, you get a, you know, it gives you a lot of energy. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's about it. I, I, don't, I, I think that if I had to think about cheap thrill, I think that would be probably it because that gives me a great thrill and it doesn't cost anything. Perfect. What's your favorite game? uh like in video or like uh, a board game or whichever my go-to my go-to mentality is chess it's chess but I haven't played practice in a long time so I'm not as good as I used to be but as a kid preteen, like 12 13 I used to go to Washington Square Park and always watch chess players I still like intrigued by chess and I think every young I think every young girl should learn how to play chess
0: yeah definitely it's a really good skill
1: And what has this year taught you, good and bad? Well, the thing that this year has taught me is that I've watched in this decades of my life how everyone has been brought to their knees at one time. That's been interesting to watch for me. That no matter who you are, the pandemic... The COVID-19 has really affected everyone, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much you don't have. Everyone has been been made to pay attention at one time. That's the good news and the bad news.
0: And what person do you admire right now? Hmm.
1: That's a good question. Who do I admire? They're all gone. <laughs> Let me think. Let me think. This is very interesting. No, that's really interesting. Who do I admire? That's a hard one because admiration is. Yeah, I admire them. There is. There are people. I just can't think of who they are. I know there are. I. I honestly. I admire Ava. I, I do. There are They're women that I actually admire. I, I like. I like that. I do. I, I. I'll. I'll go with Ava. I'll go with Ava DuVernay, and m- mostly for the fact that she's someone who's a creative, but she's at the same time someone who's a conscious of ob- conscious objective. So she she's constantly speaking up about what's right, what's wrong, and uh, sharing her knowledge with her contemporaries and her culture and. Making people aware of things and utilizing her skills to broaden that platform of effort and supporting other creatives—that's admirable.
0: And what are you most proud of achieving?
1: That my son didn't turn into a <laughs> to a t- terrible person. That he <laughs> that he was just—he came out a good a good guy—and and yeah. without my. People think I did such a great job with him, but really, honestly, he did. He, he came. Sometimes people come to the earth at good seed, you know, and he just he just he 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 knew I was serious. I, I believe in putting fear into children. I think that's the only way you're going to win. <laughs> you're going to win as a parent. <laughs> Otherwise, you're a fool if you think that you need to build their self-esteem or all that other nonsense. <laughs> I, I as a young mother, I just was so afraid to fail that I made him realize the importance of his duties and mine consistently. Yeah. And, and it, he seemed to listen. listened. He was always a good guy, though. He was never someone who challenged you. He, he was never rude. He was never those, those, these kids I see today. I, I No, they, he, he was not that. So I think one of my greatest achievements is that, that Kadim and I have always liked each other, respect each other, and that he's, he, he turned out to be a good guy, a good human, and a talent. He's a talent, too.
0: Now we're going to go into the quickfire round. Good luck on this. Scrabble or chess? Chess. New York or Paris? New York. Minimalism or the avant-garde? Minimalism. Yoga
1: or Pilates? Yoga. Running or swimming? Oh, definitely. Oh, Lord, I wish it was swimming. Running. I don't need the one, (laughs) need (laughs) the one.
0: Diamonds or pearls? Pearls. Grunge or glamour?
1: Glamour. Palladium or Studio Fifty Four? I liked it. I, you know, since I experienced them both, wait a minute, let me think on this. <laughs> I, li- I like the Palladium though, because it had gotten to co- it. Got it. Uh... Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go where most people don't go. Palladium.
0: Okay. Champagne or tequila? Tequila perfect thank you so much yay, yay. <laughs> thank you charlie thank you victoria thank, thank you thank you it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on get undressed thank you so much thank you
1: so much i'm very happy to have been here thank you Aww. so much be well victoria thank you for reminding me of the legend of the fall ah yeah i'm gonna watch it now this weekend <laughs> i think yeah, i will
0: too. i'm finding it let's watch <laughs> it <laughs> okay
1: we're on bye bye sweetheart
0: Thank you for listening to Get Undressed, the podcast brought to you by Dressed, the world's first luxury styling game, which is available to download now from the App Store. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Get Undressed via your preferred podcast platform.